0: Uh, our main objective is to educate all these stakeholders provide standards and policies for from the governmental levels we're dealing with hud and fannie mae and putting standards of practice in place so they can spread it to nationwide to banks and and get real people really comfortable with the lending practices what to expect What's going on, guys?
1: This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street Casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today our guest is Andre Oldacre from Aora Development. Today we're learning about modular construction and how it can save costs in development, and how it can produce more sustainable properties, and generally how we can benefit from that as investors and also as you know citizens of the world, right? We have Short, housing shortages in many of our markets and this modular construction uh, concept can reduce those costs and hopefully reduce some of that housing shortage, which uh, you know presents a lot of opportunity for investors. And Andre teaches us about the actual construction techniques, what types of buildings can be developed with modular construction. It's way more than I thought. so it's a big learning point for me and it may be for you as well how much cost can be saved in the uh, typical building that's built in a modular fashion rather than through the older construction techniques. And there's so much more in here. So if you're interested in learning more about really the future of construction and also where the opportunity might be for someone interested in development and developing real estate, whether actively or passively, then I think this is a great lesson for you to tune into today. If you enjoy the show and you're an Apple podcast user, I just ask you, please take a quick second, leave us a rating and review on Apple podcast five stars. If you don't mind, I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We are on every major podcast platform and on YouTube, so don't forget to look us up on YouTube as well. I'm your host, Taylor Lowe. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Want to thank you for tuning in today. I learned a lot from Andre, and I think this is really the future of real estate development. And he's very much engaged. He's on the forefront of modular construction technology. He's going to teach you about how he's doing that, how he's really pushing, say, the regulators and those standards, the construction standards forward. So really excited to have him on the show today. Without any further ado, here we go with Andre Oldacre from Aora Development. Andre, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. Pleasure.
1: Pleasure's all mine. Uh, For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business at Aora Development and everything you do, can you give us a quick intro and uh, tell us about what you're up to?
0: All right, thanks. Um, So we are developers in the New York City area, in and around New York City, in the five boroughs, and outside in Westchester, Long Island, New Jersey. We're big believers in renewable and sustainable energy and that also includes us um, using. We're very big believers in modular building. I also happen to be the chair of the Offsite Construction Council with the National Institute of Building Sciences. We just named that for October first, so very very recent uh, appointment. Awesome. Yeah. So, modular. I don't know if many of you know, but modular construction is has a lot of benefits um, in that it's built in the factory while the site work is being built at the same time. So you get many levels of efficiency, namely that you basically can save up to 50% of the time in your development, which includes, you know, which is a big savings in holding costs and faster time to stabilization and collecting rent and or sales, you know, depending on your strategy. Awesome. So you also have, you know, in traditional construction, you have up to 30% waste versus uh, modular you have less than 5% waste because they, they it's, it's it's in a controlled environment. The factory conditions are much, much better for the workers. It's safe because it's you know, they're building everything on the first floor instead of, you know, second and third and 50th floor, you know, depending on how high your building goes. And it's built in basically like sections of, you know, usually the, the sections are anywhere from like 14 by 50s as, as a standard size, but, and then they're, together on site uh, with a crane in days rather than over the course of, say, a year, right? So, you know, some of the efficiencies you also get, you know, you have all your factory equipment there from electricity, water, um, and it's basically an assembly line. The best way to think about it is it's an assembly line just like a car manufacturer has made it's the same uh, same levels of efficiency you have. And now we're starting to bring what I call modular 2.0 and bringing advanced robotics like the car manufacturers have made to start to really get those levels of efficiency. Right now, mo- most of mod- the modular factories you're going to see are basically an assembly line, but it's all still very manual and processed with some slight you know efficiencies of uh, automation, maybe screw machines that you know screw in, 30 screws at the same time but now you're starting to really see some it's just in the very infancy stages of, of starting to implement and learning from the car industry uh the robotics i mean we're really excited about that because that will one drive down the cost of, of you know and we have a, a huge construction labor and labor sh- a skilled shortage especially in the major cities like new york city which is driving the cost of construction up over $400 a square foot. Um, We can't control commodity prices like wood and steel. That's the same across the board. But what we can do is order in more bulk and and get better levels of pricing as well. So I said it's a better environment for the workers because they're in air conditioned um, environment with uh, on the first floor. So the safety is much there, much better working conditions. Um, They have everything they need tools wise. and using BIM technology, uh, building information systems, uh, we can quickly find out you know any errors and omissions very very quickly on site versus uh, on site, which you know can lead to a lot of change orders and, and overages, right? In traditional construction, the other problem with construction uh, construction is that you have change orders and overages. Everything in modular construction is done all the design work is done pretty much upfront. So you have to make a lot of decisions with your architect, your GC, your structural engineer. They all have to be done all at the beginning, which is tough for uh, a developer who doesn't have that experience because you know, they're used to making changes on the fly. The problem with that is the traditional model, the average cost of overages is, is 29, 28%. And if you have 10% in your budget, uh, you might run out of money, or have to go beg, borrow, and steal for the rest of the money at much higher interest rates. At and you may have a stoppage in work. That's why you see so many projects um, being taken over by the bank, or you know, being bought out. You know we see a, a deal like that maybe once a month, right? And in, in, in our network of deals that are 85 percent complete, but the. Borrower ran out of money because of the developer, and that's because of traditional construction, because they didn't account for the thirty-five percent in overages and mismanagement of their GC. So I can go on and on all just about modular, but let's you know talk more about um, you know kind of what we do and what our our main focus is. Uh, you know, at AOR Development, we really focus on multifamily, mainly ground up, but we, we do we'll do we will do some ground. I mean, some. Um, property acquisition and retrofits. Like I said, we're very big believers in renewable energy and sustainable. So we look to bring in any levels of solar IoT devices that are going to help us with our maintenance and operation costs. Um, We're looking at prop tech and the traditional, you know, a lot of developers and investors are now starting to use the the prop tech like Appfolio and Buildium to, to manage, which is very, very efficient levels of, of managing a property where, and it can even let you self manage. Whereas before it was almost impossible to do a 200 unit by yourself without a property manager. Now it's, you know, with some good management and the right tools uh, you, you can do that, you know, pretty easily with, with the tools and accounting that all that these uh, prop tech solutions are now giving. So with some of the IOT devices and and new prop tech Um, They're managing the MEP, which is the mechanical, electrical, and and plumbing. So anytime you have – it's monitoring, say, hey, you have a leak on floor four. You might want to check this out and fix it. It is ten times more expensive to do an emergency fix than it is to uh, pick it up beforehand and and repair it before the pipe bursts, right? Uh, So if you can bring down your maintenance cost, the traditional – operations cost in a proforma for you know a major unit would be 38 35%. Now now if you start start using solar and um, these IoT devices that are monitoring every aspect of your building including your MEP and HVAC systems you can now start to lower those numbers down and put in your proforma you know numbers even below 25% which I have to explain to banks and lending institutions every time we have this conversation because they're like, "Wow, your your, your operation cost is way too low. The traditional is thirty five, but here, but this is what we're doing to combat that."
1: Interesting. So I do wonder. You mentioned about uh, fourth floor. I mean, there's so many questions about this, but that's surprising that this. Uh, the implication is that the modular construction method works with you know taller properties, whereas I would have you know if I were guessing. I would have said you probably can't go higher than than two f- stories at most. But you're saying fourth floor. I mean, how high can you go, and what kind of properties are you talking about?
0: So the tallest construction project in the world is in the UK, I believe it was 44 stories. Wow! And we're getting even higher, you know, by the year. Um, right here in Brooklyn, where I'm located, uh, we have a 26 story uh, Marriott that's just about completed. And we also have one by the Barclay Center that's in that same range in the twenty uh, floor, and that one used to be the largest in the world. And uh, there's been some newer of it since, so that's cool. You have that's cool. Uh, yeah, some of the some of the local or manufacturers can go well up to to eight and twelve stories very easily, but some of the more advanced can go much much higher with um, with structural steel beams.
1: Interesting. So, when you're, you know, the modular construction, there's uh, construction at the factory, and then items are delivered to the job site, and it's all kind of assembled on the final assembly. Um, I think you know anybody that's kind of driven around middle of America, you know, we've probably seen semi trailers going down the road with a, you know, a modular, you know, home on the back with siding and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, if you're talking about a tower. It's going to be way too big to drive the whole thing just down the highway. So, what's getting delivered to the site? What's that all, you know, kind of look like in terms of the logistics?
0: So, it's a modular box, right? It might be a fourteen by fifty foot box, you know, wrapped in, um, you know, protective gear to and being delivered to on site. So, it's just a lot more of them, right? It's it might be a hundred or two hundred and fifty boxes that are going to be host hoisted and installed like Legos on a on by the crane. Right. So for the local municipality and traffic is also much better because that process is going to take for let's just say call it an eight story building, two 20, square feet, let's call it. That's going to take maybe two or three days to erect the whole building. Wow. Whereas an eight-story building is going to have traffic delays and you know blockages for as long as the construction is. That could be a year and a half, two years, right? So you still have site work blockages, and but it's much, much less than what you would see. So, you know, in, in, in a traditional sense.
1: Interesting. So, I mean, you kind of touched on some of the things that you're dealing with banks and, and financing institutions that kind of sounds like they're not really quite ready. They're not quite there. They haven't quite caught up with the technology oh. and the uh, financial dynamics around it. Can you tell us more about that and, you know, kind of maybe issues that you've had to work through with getting these things
0: financed? So it's really about the education from the municipalities, the, the insurance, the lenders, uh, every uh, stakeholder involved, right? So that's why I joined the offsite construction council with NIBS and now I'm now chair. Uh, our main objective is to educate all these stakeholders, provide standards and policies for, from the governmental levels. We're dealing with HUD and Fannie Mae and putting standards of practice in place so they can spread it to nationwide to banks and, and and get real people really comfortable with the lending practices, what to expect. So for instance, um, with a traditional factory, they they're looking for a 10 to even say 25 percent down payment on the project, and they expect the rest at setting. So when when they come in and deliver the truck, they expect to be paid the full amount, then, which is obvious. Um, so some of the things that, Come up, are, well, who's responsible once it leaves the factory? Is it, is it the modular factory before it get, you know, before it gets to the actual site? Is it the and modular transit. factory? Is it, the, is it the transit company? Who is responsible for that? Uh, so these are the, the the types of issues that we work on with modular, When the traditional you know, you might have, a, you have a lot more draw schedule in your draw schedule. You might have 5%, 10%, 10, 10 for this. You do the plumbing, you get another 10%. You do uh the, the wall structures, you might get another 15%. So it's, it's a lot more as at pay as you go. Whereas modular is really a two-time process or, you know, most of the time. So. Interesting.
1: So how, I guess, how finished are the pieces when they arrive? I mean, I imagine there's some level of final fit up, but, you know, is the plumbing all installed and, and what all needs to be done?
0: So it's really just, it's, we like to say it's between 80 and 90% finished. So you can have outside facades like brick walls, and you know, siding, finishing already on the sides of the modules that are going to be outward facing, but it doesn't have to be. Sometimes a lot of times you'll have flooring or uh, countertops or other things that you do, you would install on in place just because you're fitting pieces together, and it might not go together as well when you when you're connecting boxes. So, so flooring is, tip, is one that's typically done on site, but it can be done. And you have to obviously connect your uh, your plumbing, electric. They have they're connected in, the, in, the, in each box, but they're they have to obviously be connected together to make one whole system on site. So, you usually have for instance, we're doing four single family homes in South Plainfield, New Jersey. It took. Five hours to erect the home, the actual home, on site where you, you know, neighbors see the house in literally one day. (laughs) Whereas before it was just a foundation and you know hole in the ground, and now you know next day they have a full house. Um, You know maybe you know for for that house we didn't have siding, we and we decided to put the siding on afterwards and uh, flooring and some other things, but. Um, you can get an idea that it's pretty mostly complete, 80 to 90%, I would say. Hmm.
1: So what would you say is the current level of adoption of, you know, modular construction? And then how much further, I suppose, do we have to go? Because, it, you know, I'm sure there are downsides. There's downsides to everything. But like, sure. to me, that this just makes sense. I don't see why we wouldn't look for this kind of efficiency in construction. Sure. Or why wouldn't so, we
0: do it? So, you know, our... Our construction techniques are over 100 years old. If you think about any other technology, um, from car manufacturing to any any type of manufacturing, if you told them that we're 100 years old and, and what we're doing, we people would go crazy, right? 100 years ago, we weren't even we didn't have computers, we didn't have TVs, we didn't have a phone. So, um, to be using you know technologies from 100 years, we have had some level of um, you know, techniques that are that are speeding up traditional construction, but for the most part, the the, the general gist is the same. So right now the, we're just under 5% market share with, with modular, um, which is good, but could be, should be well over 50. The modular is not for every site, right? Um, there are sites that are maybe inland that are, you know, too tough to, or you have to go over buildings, which is a big, huge insurance risk. Um, there, you know, you might have uneven land that, that might not be good for cranes or you might have telephone poles with wires that it can't get underneath. So there's sites that it's not for every site, but I would say more often than not that you can do a modular. And modular can be anything from single family home, multifamily, commercial. Usually the podiums are built traditionally um, and then um, the, the towers above would be would be the modular portion.
1: Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so, if you have a mixed
0: use, if you have a mixed use with, say, a retailer like, say, Whole Foods or something, that part would be uh, done traditionally. As of as of now, we're, they're still working on ways to build podiums in the factory as well, but it's it's a little bit tougher.
1: So, where are the factories, and how far can they? You know reasonably be located from where they are cuz you mentioned about some areas being too far inland so it, sound, it sounds like there might be you know uh, shipping involved or things like
0: that sure so um we typically like to say within 300 miles your your factory should be within 300 miles for it to be cost efficient because you are you're shipping on trucks and that's going to eat up your your costs and in, in in shipping costs if if you're not that close or so For the New York area, there's some in Pennsylvania. There's a couple in in the Westchester area, Um, but for across the country, there's you know they're all they're all over. But we need a lot more, and we need a lot more advanced. As I was talking about advanced systems, modular 2.0, I like to call it, where we're starting to use robotics. To this point, um, there's really only one good example of it, and that's with Autoval and out of Idaho, using advanced robotics. So they're sort of the model to go, but they're still using wood. Uh, in the New York area, area, we need non-combustible, which means we have to use steel and concrete, right? So we need, there's still plenty of room for growth in the industry. Um, if you read the McKinsey reports and Modular Building Institute uh, reports, they all are telling you that this is the only way for us to, um, advance in the, in the construction and, and, and fill the void of affordable short, uh, housing shortage across the country. You know, every major city seems to have it. You know, here in New York, we have 250 unit shortage, which is, you know, it's unacceptable. You know, the average renter and you know, millennial renter coming out of school is eating up 50 percent of their income in, uh, in rent. And that's just not an affordable lifestyle. Right. So we need you know, we need that number to be down in the twenty, in the high in mid to low thirties for it to be an affordable lifestyle. And we want and modular is a way that we can get there.
1: So you said two hundred fifty, probably two hundred 250,000, yes, yes, yeah, thousand short. I said Just yeah, to so we'll make sure, two hundred fifty yes. wouldn't be too bad, but yeah, yes. many major metros have have serious shortages like that. I think my city is comparable. Um, at least into the future is going to be very comparably uh, short. Now, one of the things in, in building in general that is probably the slowest to change is pretty much always the government. Now you're obviously sure. getting involved with that, but you know, what do you see into the future to kind of get the regulators on board and you know, make that all happen and you know, the time frame to really accomplish major changes there?
0: Um, there's real technology out there, right? There's digital twins um, where basically you're creating a 3d model of your whole city. Uh, there's been experimental Examples of this in New York City, but more more importantly, there's one in the small country of Estonia has created a digital twin of their whole country, and they're doing error check and permitting automated by BIM. Right, so if you're creating a building and you have you submit you have to submit your project using BIM and, and AutoCAD and Revit, whatever you're, you're submitting with, and the system is going to automatically check for errors. Okay, this is our code you know, your your electric uh, outlet's supposed to be 18 inches off the ground. In your BIM model, they're 14 inches off the ground, correct that, it's gonna automatically check that with AR technology, right? So this is the future. This is gonna save municipalities time, energy, money. People can do this from their homes. You know, with, with a crisis like COVID, you know, no, there would be no stoppage in permits and, and, and shortages. You would have municipalities be able to cover and, and issue permits much, much faster. I mean, they did a, I think they said in their study in Estonia, they had a 40% decrease in cost. And somewhere in like, I can't, don't quote me on the numbers on, I can't, but it's infinitely faster, right? Uh, I don't want to put a number out there that is not true, but it's, let's call it 50% faster in, in being able to facilitate a permit, right? So that's amazing for for big cities that have these backlogs. Some, you know, I've heard of cities having backlogs of a year to get your your permitting done, right? So that's obviously they're using paper and they're using um, one or two plan examiners that are you know bogged down with with way too much work, right? If they could train them to use this BIM and, and newer technology and AI technology. They could, they could run through projects multiple at the same time on the same day, really, right? Because the system is automatically checking it onto the next one. System automatically checks it and they could be handling back and forth revision. And there's much less of a revision process as well because the system should know what to be checking for, right? And, and your BIM, when you're on BIM, it should automatically tell you some of the errors before you even submit. So there's just so many levels of efficiency, saving, you know, both the developer and the city time.
1: That's awesome. So I that's, think that's
0: a major one.
1: <laughs> we should get that kind of leads to some level of like repeatability. Like once you have a, a plan approved, you know, and it's, it's good to go, then we should be able to maybe more easily say rinse and repeat. They can, If they have a revision, they can submit it and have it reviewed relatively easily. But if there's like a certain model of property that is good in this area, then we should be able to more easily just, kind of stamp it in another location.
0: Sure. sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you want to repeat the same housing, like they can, you know, most of this is public knowledge and public information. They will be able to literally take the plans and run with it. I don't know how legal that is, but. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, if you've ever been through one of those developments, that's all Nick Mansions. They're just all cookie cutter as well. But exactly. exactly. Very expensive and poorly built. So yeah, we can do better than that. That's awesome. I'm, I'm very excited uh, for what this technology is all going to bring right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Andre, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education?
0: Uh, That would be my first house I purchased uh, 15 years ago. It was a three family. Um, It got me started on the road to financial freedom and and into this world of construction and, and real estate commercial finance so i live here in brooklyn i actually still live in the same home now i was able to do it back then we could do an 80 20 loan um, so i basically put no money down i used all the money for a gut to do a gut renovation and i was able to create four family out of it and it's cash flows very well today so that was from that the house has done very well Able to take out cash out of that buy and start to buy more every year, buying more and more two, two to four families, and I got into commercial real estate because they increased the zoning on one of my properties, and I was gonna getting ready to buy a neighbor's property, combine the two, and go up to eight stories and, and build a 24 unit. Well, I had to get some experience. So I took Cornell's commercial real estate classes, and I took Columbia's construction finance classes. Then I I ended up meeting my partner who had 20 years construction experience, and then AOR was formed in early 2018. So we're a relatively new company, but we're moving fast and got a lot of uh, ambitious projects in the pipeline. Um, We're looking at um, 500 units in Mount Vernon, which is right outside of Westchester, and that can actually it's a possibility that could actually be up to 1,500 units and mixed use and parking as well. So we're looking at some really the big deals. We're not looking at small deals. We're in a, um, some, you know, 32 unit to, to you know add value to 48 unit. We're looking at some in the hundred unit level. So, yeah, so, but, it, but it all comes, it all starts with the beginning, humble beginnings with one property that did well, that got you on the, on the, on the road to, being able to be financially free and and concentrate on what's really important.
1: Awesome. Well, I, uh, to the folks out there who haven't gotten started, got to remember that a lot of uh, very successful investors, uh, just like you, Andre, got started with that first one. And then it kind of starts going from there and you have to yeah. get started somewhere. So
0: it's the, it's the old birth, birth strategy from bigger pockets, right? Um, it, it actually really works.
1: I love it. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you
0: ever made? So we were in contract for a 110 unit building Well, to build three buildings in eight story buildings in uh, not far from here in Brooklyn. We get in contract and later find out there's a deed restriction uh, to only build basically a nursing home, nursing facility or a homeless shelter. Wow. Uh we, we went down the road of trying to amend our model, and we didn't want to give up because the site was so great. And we got further and further involved. We hired consultants, and we just realized there was so much government regulation, and it's a whole learning curve that we did not want to get involved with. We did not want to be running a homeless shelter. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that's not our cup of tea. It's not our mission. So it burned us for quite a bit of money, but we had to, we had to pass. And we settled with the uh, with our with our down payment and um, got most of it back, but that was the worst investment.
1: Sounds it sounds pretty painful.
0: Yeah, yeah it was uh, eight nine months of work down the drain. Obviously, we we're working on other projects, but um, at the same time, but you know, it was it would hurt. It was a valuable lesson to do a little bit more due diligence um, in the front because you can really get hurt.
1: Well, as long as you turned it into a valuable lesson, then you came out better on the other side, I suppose. Absolutely. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Um, Creative financing, creative strategies to increase the investor's leverage, right? PACE is is an energy loan that rewards you for putting, I think it stands for property assessed clean energy. And it's basically taking the place of mezzanine financing. So it's just now coming on board in New York City. They have their own plan, but it's been available in New York State for a while, and it's available in um, many of the states across the country. So you should look out for it. But what basically what it is, you can put if you increase your efficiency levels from you know, insulated windows, um, super insulations, solar panels, anything that's making the building more efficient. You know, right now, buildings are... of our emission, total CO2 emissions are coming from buildings. It's not cars, it's not manufacturing, buildings, right? So if we can decrease those levels of emissions, you know, in half, which a lot of uh, cities are are now mandating by, you know, we have a a law called Local Law 97, which states that you have to decrease your emissions by 2030 by 40%. So it's now you have to do it. It's not a choice. And I commend them for doing that because, you know, obviously climate climate change is here and it's uh, buildings is a big part of that footprint. Wow. So in using strategies like PACE, we can possibly finance up to 90% of a build or even in some instances 95, but we'd like to stick with 90 and lever, over, you know, 10% in equity. So that drives our the IR up, you know, tremendously. And it's things that we were going to do anyway, right? We're going to retrofit a, an old building with, solar so we can lower our our, uh, our operating costs and we're going to build that into a new every new build anyway so it's right up our alley so um and just having good brokers or good systems to get the best financing there are programs always out there you always have to be checking to see what programs are available for the, the specific type of project that you're working with you know there's opportunity zones there's uh, and there's investors for every cup of tea, right? From in- industrial to hotel to multifamily, and you can, if you do your homework, you can save tons, millions of dollars in just financing, if you put the word out to a lot of a lot of lenders out there. I mean, what? we've seen like we've seen rates on you know from three three and a half percent on on a, on a new construction deal all the way up to twelve, right? So if you're talking about a let's call it a ten million dollar project and you're paying quadruple in interest charges, it, it runs up fast wow. and makes, makes a lot of projects unviable, especially with today's construction costs and, and shortages, so. Wow,
1: so the power of creative financing, especially getting the best rate you can, and you know, smart, but but sometimes somewhat aggressive lever adjustables, but being smart about it, yes. of course. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, Andre, thank you for joining us today and thank you for everything that you're doing out there in the world to make housing more affordable and more sustainable and pushing the technology forward for the rest of us that uh, are in cities where that's maybe not being adopted yet. So that's that's pretty exciting. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about yourself and your business... Where can they track you down?
0: Um, I'm pretty readily available on LinkedIn. You can reach me at my name. It's spelled a little differently. It's A-U-N-D-R-E, last name Oldacre, O-L-D-A-C-R-E. Or you can drop us an email at info at aoradev.com. So that's dot com.
1: Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much. Five stars, if you don't mind. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcasts ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. No matter what podcast app you use, don't forget to look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. We look forward to seeing you right back here. I hope you have, <laughs> excuse me. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.